Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. If you would please turn your Bible to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 21, Romans chapter 5. While you turn there, I want to speak to the children, our dear beloved children who are with us. And I have a, a little Bible trivia question, quiz question for you kids. Who are the two most influential men in the Bible? Question for the kids again. Who are the two most influential men in the Bible? I want you to think about that this morning, kids, as we look at this passage. And uh, not only that, but, you know, some of your deeper questions, even as children, Lord willing, will be answered by the end. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 20, 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ." Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Show us your grace. Lift our eyes to see our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It is well with my soul. Yesterday morning, I was with... Sarah, my beloved sister, with several members from ECC, and we were at the Abu Dhabi Central Morgue. And Sarah, even as her dear husband's body in the coffin was put into the vehicle to be taken away to the airport to be repatriated, Sarah wanted us to sing, It is well with my soul. A 30-year-old widow wants to say these words, sing these words. How? Why? Why is it that we are able to stand in the presence of our great enemy, death, and sing, It is well with my soul? How can a 30-year-old widow sing that? In fact, that raises a deeper question. Why are we even there in the first place? Why is our dear brother Lamuel 
who was alive and well, an active member of this congregation just over a year ago, why is his body cold and lifeless in a box to be put into the ground? Why? Why? Well, brothers and sisters, the answers to those weighty questions are found in the story of two men that we read about in our passage today. Two men whose actions affect us all. Now, this passage is very theologically dense. It's a challenging text, but it explains to us everything. It answers our questions. Why death? And more importantly, where do we find hope? You know, the uh, great Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, once said that a pastor's foremost responsibility, that it is the job of a pastor to prepare his people to die well. And it's not lost on me in God's providence. My first sermon as senior pastor, I am tasked with this responsibility to prepare us all for death. You know, this morning, even as our congregation is faced with this reality, the reality of our own mortality, as we mourn the loss of our dear brother Lemuel, Romans 5 calls us to be sobered in this, to be sobered in all that we receive from Adam, guilt, sin, and the certainty of death. Yet even more than that, Romans 5 invites us to rejoice in hope because of a greater reality, because of the riches that we receive, the riches of grace, of righteousness, and the certainty of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're going to look at three truths from this passage that speak to us in our grief and yet give us hope, hope despite death, hope despite the grave. First, Romans 5 calls us to recognize our ruin in Adam. We must recognize our ruin in Adam. In this passage, we find ourselves at the center of human history. This passage divides all of history into two. It divides all of humanity into two. And all of God's dealings with human beings are based on what we see here. The passage shows us two men, the most influential men in scripture, the most influential men in history. Their actions have consequences not just for themselves, but across all times, across all places, across all cultures and contexts, actions that affect every person. Their actions affect all who belong to their respective families. And Paul in this crucial passage here is telling us what are those effects? What are the consequences of these men's actions? Look at verses 12 to 14 again. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. There's the first man, Adam. Paul tells us of the first man, tells us of the first man's action and the consequences of his action. Consequences that affect all of us, every single one of us, because we are all children, his children and members of his family. Let's unpack those phrases again from verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man. You might remember that God created this world perfect. If you've read Genesis, you know that. That's where the story of the Bible begins. With a perfect, holy, loving God creating a perfect world where there is no wrongdoing, no sin, no sorrow, no death. And he created Adam and Eve. And he placed them in a beautiful paradise in the garden. And with all of the blessing that God poured out on them, there was also command. Genesis 2 verses 16 and 17 says this, The Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What a glorious blessing in this beautiful paradise. You may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's a command. Well, if we keep reading the story, we know that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve broke this command. They rebelled against God, their king, their ruler, their creator. They took matters into their own hands. And Adam, as our father, as the head of the human race, is held responsible. And sin entered the world through his actions sin came into the world through one man next phrase and death through sin god promised and warned them in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die adam took and ate and that very day adam and eve died they experienced spiritual death their relationship with God was broken and then the process of physical death was introduced into the world for both Adam and Eve and for us. Paul makes that clear in the next phrase. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men. Just like the fog covers completely the city, death like a fog completely covers humanity. We think about COVID-19 spreading fast, uncontrollable in its spread, but death spreads faster. Death spread 
to all men. If you read in Genesis, keep reading Genesis chapter 5, we see this phrase repeated over and over again as a result of what Adam has done. And he died. And he died. And he died. And of course, we raise the question there again, why? Why do all die? Why has death spread to all men? And Paul gives us the answer. Sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men because, Adam says, uh, Paul says, because, Paul says, verse 12, because all sinned. Now this phrase is the subject of some debate. Because the question is raised by theologians and interpreters, which act of sin is Paul speaking of here? Death spread to all men because all sinned. Now some might say that this is because all of us sin. You know, death spread to us because all of us do sin, just like Adam did. But I don't think that's what the context of the passage here indicates. I think this makes it clear, the context of the passage, the tense of the verb, makes it clear that this is referring, Paul is referring here to one specific act of sin. Adam's sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. When? How? When Adam sinned as our representative, all of us were counted as sinners. Death comes to us because of his sin. We share in his guilt. He is our representative. Now I want to qualify this. Of course, it is the case that we all do sin. We are all sinners just like Adam. We all sin against God. We are all held responsible for our sin and accountable for our sin. And we do indeed perish because of sin. But I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here. In this specific verse, Paul is talking about the fact that all of us are counted as sinners because of what Adam did. You see, when Adam sinned, He acted as our representative, as our head, as our PRO, you might put it, in a relationship with God. You might wonder, how can that be? How can Adam represent us? Well, brothers and sisters, that's the way God has ordered the world and human society. He appoints representatives. He appoints fathers as heads of families. He appoints kings and rulers as heads of nations. And he appointed Adam as the head of the human race who represents the entire race in what he did. And you might think, oh, that's it's kind of not, I don't feel that's fair. How can I be affected by someone else's actions? How can I inherit something from Adam? Well, that's the way it is. You know, you ask someone who, uh, for whom, you know, a, a rich relative has gone, has passed away, and they inherit a great fortune, they're always ready and willing to go claim that fortune. They don't think it's unfair. We inherit things in families. We inherit things from our parents We inherit our very nature. Who our parents are affect us in so many ways. The way you look, the way you are, our genes. 
There's no way around it. This is how God made the world. Even in something so significant as your name, it's not something you name yourself when you come out of the womb. It's given to you. Adam is our representative and our head and the father of the human family and we inherit something from him. What is our inheritance from Adam? Well, Paul is going to show us that. Adam's sin affected all of us, his family members. If you look at verses 13 to 14, Paul is unpacking how this sin affects all. As one theologian states, sin must have been ruling because death was there ruling like a king. Paul is showing us in verse 13 and 14 that even before the law came, even before God gave his law through Moses, which pronounced a sentence of death for disobedience, death was ruling like a king over the people of this world. Why? Because of Adam's one sin. Everyone was under the effects of that. As you, as you keep reading the passage, Paul shows us again and again our inheritance from Adam. Verse 15, look at verse 15. Many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, one man's disobedience. Because of one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's our inheritance from our father Adam. A status of guilt and condemnation before God, our judge. Directly counted to us from our representative, even apart from anything we do. We're born into this world with a status of guilt and condemnation. What else do we inherit? We inherit a state of being made sinners. We are born polluted and sinful into this world. No one teaches us to sin. That's our very nature. So that we act just as Adam did. And of course we inherit the penalty of death. Death. Both physically now. And apart from Christ eternally. Under the judgment and wrath of almighty God. Adam's sin brought death. Death is the penalty for his sin. And we all die because we all are sons and daughters of Adam. You know, the world around us tries to get away from this. The world tries to explain this in, in many different ways. Children, you might hear people explain this to you in, in other ways than the way mommy and daddy explain it. You know, some people would say, oh, we're all just the result of evolutionary processes. Man is just molecules in motion and, and death is, is simply a natural part of the process, just a cessation of life. There are so many religious theories that come about of what happens after death. You are reborn again and again and there's a non-stop cycle and then, of course, people come up with crazy ideas and try to make light of this weighty 
reality. People say things like, oh, he's up playing his second innings now. Whether cricket or baseball or whatever it is, he's playing his second innings up in the sky. Or, oh, you know, his, her spirit has just gone, is now filling the air and, and causing the flowers to grow. But the Christian knows. We know. God has given us His truth. We die because we are born as guilty sinners in Adam. We are a fallen race. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You know, not just over a month ago, I was with my dear father in his final days and in his final hours. And I remember watching the process of death take over and his life coming to an end. And even as I was there in those moments, it's a terrifying thing. And I think to myself, this is the cost. This is what it looks like for a race, all human beings who are in rebellion against God. This is the price, the penalty for Adam's sin. The wages of sin is death. Something we all have to deal with. And that physical death is just a picture of something far more terrifying. The fact that we face judgment before God Almighty as our judge. The fact that we have to give an answer for the life that we've lived. The fact that we all stand guilty as rebels in Adam. You know, we buried my father and I remember going to this cemetery in the city of Chennai. They say about 300,000 people are buried in that one cemetery. It's a very quiet place. Maybe you've been to a graveyard in the recent past. Very, very quiet. But graveyards, cemeteries are not silent. They are telling a story. They are preaching a message. They are screaming to us, In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. What about you, dear friends? Have you considered the reality of death? It's a certainty, you know. One day you will come face to face with it. Are you prepared for that day? How does one prepare for that day? You see, when we consider our fallen state and our guilt in Adam, death is indeed a terrifying prospect. We find ourselves in a dire predicament 
and we ask ourselves, what is the way out? How can we be saved from this enemy? How can we be saved from this horrific reality? How can we be saved from death and the penalty of sin? How shall we find our way out? And some religious theories, you know, some religious systems will try to give you an answer to that. The Jews even took God's word and twisted it to make a different answer. Where we begin to think, okay, if we have enough rules, if we have a system of law, you know, and, and we begin to see, okay, if I obey this law, then maybe I can be free from guilt and I can be free from the penalty that comes from my guilt. There's this idea woven into the human mind that shows itself in major religious beliefs that if I work enough, if I keep the law, if I just have a good law that shows me right and wrong, then I will find a way out of my guilt and out of this death. Brothers and sisters, nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 20. Paul explains it for us. He's speaking of God's law here, the law of Moses, that this law came in to increase the trespass. God gives the law. God gave the law to his people. But the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. All that the law can do is help us see our sin and our guilt even more clearly. Because we are all lawbreakers. We all stand guilty. And that's bad news. But this passage, brothers and sisters, is filled with good news. Not just bad news. Because you see, just as certain it is that we receive guilt and death from our representative Adam, the father of the human family, this passage speaks of another representative, the head of a new family who gives us a different inheritance, a better status. And these verses not only call us to recognize our ruin in Adam, but they also call us, secondly, to rest in our righteousness in Christ. We must rest in our righteousness in Christ. Look again at verse 14. Paul says, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. He was a type. What does it mean that someone is a type? Or that Adam is a type? It means that Adam is a pattern. That he is there in the story of the Bible to point us to someone else. God put Adam into the story of human history to point forward to someone. And Adam points forward to the last Adam, the new and better Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. How does Adam point us to Christ? Well, Adam was a representative who acted on behalf of us all. And Christ is a new representative who also does things that affect us all. In the same way, this is what Paul wants us to see, in the same way that Adam's actions certainly and surely affect all who belong to him, so also Jesus' actions certainly and surely affect all who belong to him. And Paul wants us to see the certainty here. It's absolutely certain. Just as sure as Adam's actions affect us, so also Christ's actions 
will affect those who belong to him. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says the logic of this passage is unpacked in these beautiful words, just as, even so. Just as, even so. Friends, if you belong to Christ, his actions certainly and surely affect you. Look again at verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Just as we are counted guilty and condemned because of Adam's sin, so also we are counted righteous because of Christ's obedience when we belong to him by faith. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, have you considered the beauty and the glory and the certainty of Christ's righteousness? If you've been united to Jesus, then his right standing before God the Father, his right standing before the divine judge, his perfect obedience is now your perfect obedience and your right standing before God our Father. Think about how certain this is. Just as it is certain that one day we will all die, it is so certain that even right now we all stand righteous before God if we are in Christ. On good days and on bad days, when you have a great day where you glorify God in every way and obey Him as good as you can and do your morning devotions and all of that, and on your worst day where you have sinned in many ways, if you are in Jesus Christ, then God sees you on all days as perfect as the Son of God Himself. Even to your last days, even on your deathbed and on your dying day, God does not see your sins. He does not see our failures. He does not see our guilt. He does not see our status in Adam. But if you're in Jesus, he sees you with the perfect and spotless righteousness of your representative, Jesus Christ. His perfect obedience and perfect life is counted as yours. And we can rest in that righteousness. None of us on our own is able to face death. None of us dare. But in Christ, we can face death without fear. Because we know we are counted righteous now and will be counted righteous even when we stand before our judge. And this is the reason why our dear brother Lamuel, I so remember his last prayer being conscious with me. The last time I prayed with him while I was still conscious, he ended it saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! On our dying bed, we can say hallelujah because of the righteousness of God the Son given to us. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a part of Adam's family still. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak even to the children. Maybe you live in the fear of death. Well, you do well to fear death because we would want you to know the scripture says we stand guilty before a holy God. 
Yet the Bible tells us today, there is a way out of this predicament. It's by having a new representative. Jesus, the Son of God, who's lived his life with perfect obedience as a perfect representative for all who belong to his family by repenting of sin and trusting in him. And you know what the amazing thing is? Jesus was perfect. Jesus had no sin. Jesus was not in Adam. He was a new Adam. And yet Jesus died. Jesus died the most shameful death that you can imagine. Jesus died under the wrath of God, experiencing God's wrath. Why? Because Jesus was acting as a representative, as a substitute for sinners like you and me. Where he died, taking God's wrath upon himself, taking the punishment of death for every sinner who would turn away from sin and put their trust in him. The son of God died to save us from death. So if you're here and you don't know him, I want to appeal to you and plead with you. Death is coming, dear friend. So would you flee from your sin and put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you? You see, Adam and Jesus are both representatives. And just like Adam's sin has consequences and effects on all of us, Christ's obedience have effects on all who trust him and have him as their representative. But we cannot just stop there. No, the passage doesn't stop there. This is not just a comparison, you know. Adam does this and then Christ does this. No, this is also a contrast. You see, not only is Jesus a representative like Adam... But here in Romans 5, Paul tells us that he is a far greater representative than Adam. And the results of what Jesus has done are far, far greater than what Adam has done. Paul wants us in Romans 5 to realize our ruin in Adam, to rest in the righteousness of Christ. But all of that leads to something greater, and that is that we rejoice in the reign of life. We rejoice in In the reign of life. Yes, Adam and Christ and their actions have consequences for their people. But oh, how different those consequences are. We've just looked and seen the consequences of Adam's sin have been devastating on the human race. But Christ's work is greater. What Christ has done swallows up what Adam did. The results of Adam's sin are swallowed up in the results of Christ's obedience. His grace abounds to us. Paul tells us this again and again. The excessive, lavish, abounding grace of God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Look again at verses 15 to 17. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Again and again, Paul shows us here how much more does Christ achieve? Look at how his grace abounds. Verse 17, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. Look again, verses 20 to 21, where Paul finishes. He says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that even as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As one theologian put it, the power of Christ's act of obedience to overcome Adam's act of disobedience is the great theme of this paragraph. His grace abounds so greatly. His righteousness is so perfect that death itself is undone. The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther said, when, when we come to Christ, it is like a, a woman who is in great debt marrying someone who is a multi-multi-millionaire. Not only is her debt erased, but now everything that he has is hers. And that's what happens when we come to Jesus. Not only are our sins washed away, but the riches of his grace, the riches and perfection of his righteousness is now all ours and death itself is now toppled from its throne. Sin reigned in death. Verse 17, death reigned through that one man. So you can picture death sitting on a throne, reigning over all humanity. But now there's a new representative in town. And with him, he brings a new kingship. And death is toppled from the throne. Just like death ruled like a king because of Adam's sin, now grace rules because of Jesus' obedience. And this reign of grace, my dear brothers and sisters, gives Life, eternal life, God's gift of grace and the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ gives us confidence as Christians that death does not have the final word. Not for Lamuel, not for you and me. In fact, death is now a defeated enemy. Death for Christians becomes from an enemy into a doorway. A doorway to life. Eternal life begins when we believe in Jesus. It continues even as we go through death. And one day our bodies will be raised. One day our brother Lamuel who's being buried in Pakistan this afternoon. His body will be raised. Perfect. Immortal. Imperishable. And death will be swallowed up in the victory of God's Grace, that is why Paul says, and we can say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that we have the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Told you that cemeteries are speaking a story and telling a sermon. Saying in Adam, all die. But just as certain as that, brothers and sisters, 
Graveyards are telling another story. Even as our brother Lamuel is buried today, his grave is screaming a story. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, we are made alive with the hope of resurrection and eternal joy and peace with no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death forever. And that is why we can say, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the perfect spotless righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his death has defeated death and given us the hope of resurrection and eternal life. We glory in him. In his name we pray. Amen.